Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, a podcast where we dive very, very deep into five topics that have overtaken social media and tell you how it impacts all of you as marketers and brands and general fans of social media. So with me as always, Amanda Davis, Beth Ross. Hi, Amanda. Morning, Kenny. Hey, Beth. Hey, Kenny. And we've got Joey Scurrillo, our producer. Hello, Joey. Hi, Kenny. Joey's in the booth, people. We got to say hi to Joey in the booth. All right. Well, we've got five things to talk about. First and foremost, don't you know that you're toxic? We are all learning about what is going on with Britney Spears and her conservatorship and the Free Britney movement all being fueled by a New York Times documentary on Hulu. So that is our first thing. We will be talking about Twitter removing ad transparency, uh, the ad transparency center, rather. And then we'll be talking about YouTube launching new destination for sports fans, Instagram launching their recently deleted, and then finally TikTok adding misinformation labels. So with that, let's talk about the topic that has overtaken the internet for this week, which is the Free Britney movement and the documentary that was released on Hulu uh, from the New York Times. What I didn't know that was this was part of a bigger series uh, that you could watch other documentaries on other topics. Um, and I first opened up Hulu and thought it was a six-part documentary about Britney Spears. And then they started talking about first responders. And I was like, what's going on? This isn't about Britney. Um, so uh, w- we watched the documentary this weekend, and it was eye-opening. It's the story of Britney Spears' meteoric rise uh, to superstardom uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then um, subsequently her unfortunate battle with mental health, dealing uh, with what comes with you know, the massive fame that she experienced, and then culminating in her father going to court and instituting a conservatorship, which uh, if you watch the documentary, we'll tell you about uh, this is normally something for people who can't physically take care of themselves or can't mentally take care of themselves. And normally it's for older people. Uh, but Britney's is a very fascinating, fascinating situation. Uh, whereas she is still performing, she's still bringing in millions and millions of dollars a year. Uh, but she has no control over, um, where she can go, what she can do with her money, what she can say publicly, um, her own medical treatment, um, it, it is, it is just a very sad, sad situation. And for a, a seemingly healthy 39 year old woman, uh, to be treated this way, it's just pretty unbelievable. Uh, social media is a buzz, uh, and has been the free Britney movement is not new. It's not something that just started as a result of the documentary to be clear. Uh, it is something that has been going on for, for a few years now. And, the internet has rallied behind the Free Britney movement. Um, a lot of the exposure of what was going on with this conservatorship happened because of a podcast 
that was focused on Britney's Instagram account and noticed some really troubling signs of uh, what was going on leading up to recent conservatorship hearings. Uh, so overall, uh, you know, I don't know the point of view that this podcast will take. I will tell you, I'm all behind Free Britney. I think, uh, you know, it is, we did her wrong as a society, um, you know, for many, many years. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see from, you know, Ed McMahon asking her if she has a boyfriend, um, which is, you know, not an appropriate question to ask people. Uh, let alone a 10-year-old girl, all the way through to her interviews with Diane Sawyer um, and and how the paparazzi treated her. And then as a result, uh, she's the one who's punished. So it, it just is, it, it's extremely sad for someone who uh, was all, was just bringing joy to people through her art and in, and then we did her wrong. Um, so fascinating documentary. You should definitely check it out. The power of social media to move a mo- to create a movement. We've talked about that on this podcast over and over and over again. Um, so, you know, Beth, Amanda, Joey, we should chat a tiny bit about Free Britney. Yeah, I was just going to say, Kenny, you mentioned the role of, of social media. And I think it's really interesting because not only did you know, this topic get brought up and, you know, raise a lot of questions and and kind of um, attention from her Instagram channels. But it's also since the documentary was released, kind of served as this group conversation and a little bit of introspection, because not only is like the documentary about her experience, it's about our like society's role in her getting there and what caused her to get there. So it's not only you watch the documentary and you're like, that's really sad. You do have to take a moment and think about like, what was our collective role in all of this? What do we do now? And how should we act with celebrities like this going forward? All at the same time, after a global pandemic where we're all inside, we're all thinking about our mental health. It's a topic that this year in 2021 is, I, I have never seen it discussed so openly and so positively than in the past you know, decade. So I think it's kind of this crossroads of us coming to grips with what mental health means and how you know, widespread some of these issues are and then what's our role in getting people there. Yeah, I I totally agree. I fell into a free Britney hole this summer, to be honest. Um, so I'm I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And I've read the Times piece covering the documentary. But I think what I've heard from some people that I think is really interesting is that um, there's also a skew on how women were treated by media in not so far away, distant past that I think is, it, it shows a lot of progression, but it also is quite troubling on how women were treated by the media, um, the role that we as kind of voyeuristic consumers watching these people that we've elevated to famous status that really has been, I think, even more enhanced with social media. And like, does this, does this shine enough a, a light on our obsession with other people being celebrities' lives to give them some relief? I mean, Brittany is not going to be the last celebrity that is impacted by our consumer need to know everything that's happening in a famous person's life. And that's not fair. 
they share our art with us, but they don't have to share their entire existence in life. So I hope that we can get something out of this. That is, that is, so I completely agree with you, Beth, before I get, do a plus one. Social media receives undue blame, it receives the lion's share of the blame for this obsession. And I think that, you know, what I see, I think about TMZ culture. I think about, you know, when I was watching the paparazzi, I couldn't help, you know, after watching The Crown all summer and being a bit of a, a royal file, um, like, could not help but think about Princess Diana and what, you know, the our need for information about celebrity, about the deepest, most personal moments of a celebrity life is lethal. It, yeah. it is absolutely lethal. And I'm not, I'm sorry, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming social media. It's just a conduit to like satisfy us. The collective us is the problem. You know, there's, we put the pressure on celebrities where if you aren't telling us everything about your life, you're not relevant and relevancy is what sells in that industry. So I just, I, I hope for the bigger collective consciousness that we can take a pause from this and say, Brittany's not the only one and learn from it, not just have it be another voyeuristic, let's watch this crazy thing happening to this poor woman. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but I would have loved for Justin Timberlake to come out and apologize for his his role in this, uh, in the beginning of Britney's spiral. Uh, I, I see a lot of people are calling Justin Timberlake out on social and, and pushing him to have Tina you know, to talk about this, but it is, it's just sad. I, I, Amanda, you talked about a discussion around mental health and the end that for the first time in 2021, it's as front and center and public as possible. I have been doing a lot of thinking about the mental health and support of social media professionals and social media managers through all of this. Um, I just saw a meme uh, the other day where it showed a social media manager like holding their hair, like ripping their hair out almost, and surrounding it was everything from the election to George Floyd, to the 25th Amendment, to Army Hammer, to Free Britney, to, um, you know, to the Super Bowl, to the global pandemic, to like it, the social media is the conduit, Beth, I think you're right, to a lot of this stress. And it's incumbent on us, I think, as, as social media professionals and marketers to provide resources for people to help them with their mental health. And Britney needs to not I remember when Britney shaved her head and the whole thing behind that. And everyone was like, she's just crazy. Like that was a mainstream media story. The poor girl is sick and she needed help. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> but if we think about like Demi Lovato recorded her song alone or anyone, sorry, four days before she overdosed. And when you listen to that song, it's like, how could you not hear that and be like, this woman needs help. So it's, we're we're not past the point of watching celebrities crash and burn for our own entertainment, but we should think about our action and be a little bit more empathetic. If there's anything we've learned from 2020, right? It's empathy, maybe. 
be more empathetic, care about humans in a bigger, more meaningful way. 2021 is the year where empathy goes from being a buzzword to being an actual behavior. An Mm -hmm. action, yeah. And if it's not, then, you know, we're screwed. (laughs) We're screwed. We are absolutely screwed as a society. I know this isn't a topic for the five things, but it made me think about like I, Joey, our intrepid producer, just gave me a little look like this has gone on pretty long, but as long as we're okay. <laughs> um, you know, I'm thinking about the Jeep ad from the Super Bowl. And while, and it was wrong on a hundred different levels, you know, I, I, I and as a, diehard Bruce Springsteen, South Jersey. And I, I, it's hard for me to criticize, but um, the ad was so tone deaf. And there is this God complex that the advertising industry has that they think they have the ability to like proclaim that we're on the road ahead and we're looking forward. We're so far from that. And um, I think we were hoping that when the calendar year turned over that we would just like everything would be okay and magically solved. We need to double down on empathy and, and go back to, you know, helping society heal. We're so far away from that. And I think that Jeep ad was just for me felt like the encapsulation of like advertising being like, okay, we're moving forward now. Uh, when in fact, we're just like so far from it. Um, so, and there's a hundred other reasons why the ad's wrong, but I won't. I don't think we'll get into that. That that would be a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Amanda, Beth, Joey, anything else on Free Britney before we move on to, you know, something slightly more mundane? <laughs> I actually do have one more thing, not to beat the dead horse, but Beth, like when you were talking about the way that, that the media treats and treated women, especially in the last 20 years, I'd say, I, there's also a reality that we have to face in that society takes their cues from how the media acts. So when, you know, reporters ask inappropriate questions or something that shouldn't be talked about or pushes to get an answer from someone's like something that someone wants to be private, normal people will pick up that cue too. So it all goes back to the idea, like when you have a big platform and you have a big, uh, you know, message and a big audience, the way that those things are picked up and then become part of our culture and our society norms is kind of a larger issue that this is also mm-hmm. stemming from too. Yeah, the often like the third to fifth most um, highly related search for celebrities who they're dating, where it's like we should try to avoid that. But yeah, if that's the questions that get asked in interviews, it piques people. It piques our interest. It yeah. makes it okay. Oh, right. Who are they dating? Right. So there's a responsibility there that I think needs to be reassessed. 100% agree. I think about that in the context of like Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell and how they are a real couple with children dealing with things like addiction and mental health. And it's like like the fact that they have to be on a stage to deal with something like that is so frustrating. 24-7. It's like, it's just insanity to me. It's if only once the tables were turned on the people who are doing the prying, they would stop what they were doing. Or at least you would hope they would, having to be bit after we. they get through. I think it's a we still. There's still a little bit of we to it also. We just, oh, yeah. We push. Not being holier than thou. I've, I've participated in these bad behaviors. And I've I just this week yeah. Googled ex-celebrity 
dating. <laughs> I know. You know what's weird is sometimes I don't even look for it. To your point, Beth, I, I like type in the person in the Netflix show I'm watching and it's like girlfriend. I'm like, who is he dating? I would love to know. But it's again, this cycle that just gets fed on itself and just doesn't end and all of that makes it okay. So again. Are we following, are we following Dumois on Instagram? I stopped. It made me feel creepy. So if people don't know, you're talking about the gossip. Yeah. Instagram. So yeah. there's like a gossip Instagram where people can, a lot of people that are in industry, you know, uh, assistants or kind of set designers, things like that, will send anonymous tips, celebrity tips into this Instagram. And they post a lot of them, not all of them. It's basically like a, a democratic TMZ. Ew, I hate that. Right. Some of it is true. Oh. Some of it is not relevant information at all. Some of it's really important. You know, I had a bad experience with this person. I'd like other people to come out. So that's where it starts to get a little bit confusing around how do we use these tools and how do they use those tools for good? It's slightly, it's, it can be helpful in that sense. I think it played a major role in sort of what's going on with Army Hammer right now. Um, but it's me too in French. So the fact that they're attributing their, the fact that they are attributing that behavior to an act, to a very, very important movement it is also part of the problem because like it's it, it is sensationalized now to the point where it's about celebrity gossip mm -hmm. like but, who really, the best. but it's cloaked as a support system for a critical movement to help society move forward so it, it's that is like being like we are still the people that are sitting around saying free britney if they're also contributing to dumois then they haven't learned a thing from the Britney documentary. Like it's all interconnected. Oh man, we could really talk about this for like hours. We really could. We should have made an entire episode about it. I know. The one thing, free Britney. Do we want to talk <laughs> about the other four things? Odd transition, but we're going to move forward now. Um, I'll just say uh, mental health is real. Joey, maybe we can put some resources of like websites or stuff that people can visit in the notes of the podcast in case, you know, you're dealing with something and we, we want to make sure that you can get help. Uh, but we'll move forward now to the other four things, uh, <laughs> which seem oddly unimportant by comparison. Um, so, Beth, why don't we talk a little bit about Twitter removing the Ads Transparency Center? Yes. So total left turn. Twitter has quietly removed its ad transparency center. So um, a little history here. The ad transparency center was launched in June 2018, um, and it was done so to provide greater insight around political and issue ads on the platform. Um, however, with the official um, pro prohibiting of both political and issue ads on Twitter in November of 2019 um, and the establishment of mandatory cause-based ad certification, which is a new proce review process by Twitter, the Ad Transparency Center no longer provides its intended value according to Twitter. So instead of having this um, center, they have kind of transitioned to uh, what sounds like almost an archive database that will show um, data from political ads that ran between May 
24, 2018 and November 22nd, 2019, and then issue ads that ran between August 8th of 2018 to November 22nd of 2019. So you can still get a look back on what was on the platform um, to have some of that transparency, but going forward, there is seemingly no need for the Ad Transparency Center, given the new updates to the platform. I think there's um, there's there's some, I guess, people who feel a little bit bummed out by this because the Ad Transparency Center was helpful in getting a better understanding of Twitter campaigns that were being run and kind of how the platform was being used for both political and issue ads. Um, but I think it also is a, a reflective change of where the platform's going and um, the shift in focus kind of in the wake of the 2020 election. So what do you guys think? Yeah, you have to imagine the problem with the 24-7 um, covering of what's going on in the social media industry and this notion that every time there's a slight channel update, we, we need to like break it down could be that they have a broader plan and they're just my dog just came back from his walk i'm so sorry and he was in the snow and it's got a, this unbelievable sound of him just like waddling um but that being said um it's real we're all working from home um so you know i think the channel might have a bigger plan and the sunsetting of the ad transparency center could be you know one piece in a broader move that's going to be happening over time uh, so you know i think twitter is a is a pretty good platform by comparison to others in how they handle things like this um so i'll be curious to see what happens i did also see that robert f kennedy jr was removed from twitter because of his anti-vaxxer conversations and it sort of represented one of the first high-profile people since President Trump was removed. Um, so I think Twitter is paying attention to misinformation and transparency and trying to figure it out. And it sounds like they're just opening up, you know, something that might have been politically focused last year to something that is a little bit more, you know, for larger conversations, to your point, Kenny, around vaccination or otherwise. So curious to see where they take it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think this this shift in the... Ad Transparency Center is anything that we should get worked up about. Seems kind of common sense to me. Listen, people, if you're listening to the five things, we'll tell you what to get worked up about and tell you what to not get it's worked Brittany. up about. Yeah. It's, yeah. If you want to get worked up about something, talk about Brittany. Um, it's Brittany. All right. Hell, I knew that it had to happen at least once on the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, hello, sports fans. We have a new destination for you. And Amanda is going to tell you about it. Thank you. I couldn't have made this any sportsier. You know me. Um, YouTube announced that they've overhauled their sports hub at youtube.com sports to kind of create this destination for fans and content creators and advertisers to interact with sports related videos. You know, we're seeing kind of this trend in cable cutting for, for years um, and YouTube is starting to take it really seriously and, and become, you know, that that one source for sports footage. And uh, this is like a fresh, you know, an intuitive platform. It looks cool. It's got a lot of, you know, it seems like they have exclusive content deals with teams and athletes to make some stuff for the platform. Overall, though, I'm not sure that YouTube will kind of dominate sports content the way that, you know, you see like a ESPN or a Monday Night Football. But I think what's really interesting about this is 
if it becomes a little bit of more of that aggregation water cooler place after these live experiences and live sports events, I think especially post-pandemic, people are still going to want to go to sporting events. They're going to want to watch them live on cable TV. So, you know, if we think of YouTube in this case as more of a social media network, which it is, you know, this is a little bit more of the place where marketers can kind of have that conversation with sports fans. They can, you know, be a little bit more personalized, a little bit more specific. Whether or not they have, you know, a TV broadcast spot, it is a place that brands can kind of dip their toe in or supplement their broadcast messaging with something that feels like a dialogue. So I don't know that it would become... Amanda. Yes. Is this is this going after Twitch? What's happening here? I actually think this is going more after the ESPN and the cable network sports content that people would kind of sit around the couch and watch with their friends. So I know last week we talked about the clipping um, edition that YouTube made for esports, but this actually feels like it's trying to be more of the one place where you watch the football game and you talk about it and you share it. I don't know if that will happen. I think especially, again, once we're not all by ourselves, people are going to want to sit in the bar and watch the game. They're going to want to sit at someone's house and watch Monday Night Football live. Like, I, I think this might make sense for our current habits, but I don't know that it's going to be the long-term answer for sports fans. Yeah, this feels like YouTube is, like, taking on lines of business to compete with streaming platforms. And the one the one thing that I think they really have going for them is an ESPN subscription or cable subscription is expensive. Like this, this might provide a, a way for people who don't necessarily want to spend on sports to have a way in. Mm-hmm. I'll be very curious to see how I believe 2023 is the NBA TV rights renegotiation. Um, this is always a major moment when the big leagues renegotiate their TV deals. I'll be very curious to see how this impacts that um, and what the opportunities are. This is, it's, I don't know, Hulu has live sports. Okay, so moving on. Um, <laughs> Beth, so I know that the recently deleted folder is very interesting for people. Uh, sometimes you delete something by mistake. I don't know. But Instagram launched recently deleted. And what's the deal? I should do it in my best Seinfeld voice. Like, what's the deal with that? (laughs) Yeah. So Instagram is rolling out recently deleted, which honestly, the first thing I thought is so that the people who to say might delete this later can actually follow through on that action, but then get it back because it wasn't a bad post. But it's really more focused on um, being able to prevent content being lost from hackers. So we know that um, when hackers get access to platforms, sometimes they delete content. And so you would be able to get that content back or if you accidentally deleted something or if you thought you wanted to delete something and then had regrets. Now, um, everything you delete will be automatically stored for 30 days in this um, recently deleted folder. And, but after 30 days, it's gone forever. Um, and that does not include stories. Deleted stories will be archived for up to 24 hours. So um, the way you would get to this is settings account recently deleted. Uh, and it'll be, I don't know, it's, a, it's interesting. I think it makes sense. 
What I'm do you guys gonna, I'm just going to put out a public service announcement for anyone from Gray who is listening to this. If you lose your content, I cannot help you retrieve it. That is not my job. Um, hopefully, this recently deleted folder can help you. Um, so, uh, believe it or not, there are multiple people who have asked me to help them retrieve lost Instagram content. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is its a good feature. It, it's not an earth-shattering feature. Um, I'm surprised it took them this long to do it. TBH. So, you know, Amanda, anything? No, I just, I also think it's slightly could be a little bit self-servicing to Instagram too, because I feel that Instagram policies actually remove a lot of content that shouldn't be removed. And then obviously the original creator, you know, has to argue their point, you know, when their case get their account back and then the content's not there. So I see that happen a lot. So I wonder if this is kind of covering them for that. And if there is, you know, some data that they're you know, aggregating from this too of like, you know, this group of people is deleting their selfies or their pictures with their ex-boyfriend or I don't know, whatever it may be. So oh my god. I hope that I hope that's not the case. I have a sinister mind and I'm doubtful that it's all rosy and sunny. All right. See exhibit one free Britney. Um (laughs) all right. So moving forward, uh we're gonna bring this, you know we're making our initial descent into our destination airport here with our fifth thing, which is TikTok adding misinformation labels. So Amanda, super critical. What's the deal? So TikTok announced that they're, they'll be adding labels to videos that contain inaccurate or unverified info. This isn't, you know, brand new news, similar to what Facebook and Twitter have very slowly over the course of years started to implement. Um, I think it's great. TikTok is kind of doing this before things go off the rails on that platform. Not to say there is a lot of, I guess you could say, questionable advice that people have been sharing through TikToks. So it's clear that they're taking it serious and they're partnering with a fact-checking company, I think it's called Logically, to not just flag the content, but also limit how it's served, if it's served at all on a For You page, or if people can send it to other viewers and how it's kind of shared on the platform. So I think that it, it sounds like they're approaching it slightly differently than the rest of the platforms, which is great because, again, nip something in the bud before a behavior becomes a problem. Uh, there's also like a little bit of nuance that they've talked about. You know, it's not just like this is OK or this is not OK. You know, there's tags that they can put things true, false. It's altered if it's photoshopped. It's, you know, satire if it's a joke. And it sounds like the big difference, too, is that TikTok doesn't automatically suspend an account or content if it gets flagged, which Facebook and Instagram do, and then they assess it later. But if something happens enough or content, you know, is reviewed and it feels like it's dangerous to have on the platform, it will be taken down. And I think this kind of lets, you know, users trust in the platform, similar to what I was just saying, is if something gets deleted immediately and it ends up being deemed as appropriate, that obviously creates a little bit of rift between the creators and the platform. So... It sounds like they're going about it the right way. They're starting, you know, that long-term approach to misinformation on the platform that should start when a, when a platform is this young. And it sounds like they're doing it slightly differently. So hopefully they have some lessons to share. I love it. It's, to me, it is, the you know, Facebook turned 17 this week, last week, by the time you hear this, um, which is absurd. I mean, like the fact that it's almost 20 years old is crazy. Uh, and they have innovated by acquiring and copying. And 
platforms like TikTok, which are emerging now, have the chance to learn and grow and do it right. Um, so, you know, what took TikTok 18 months to do took Facebook 17 years to do. Um, so I think this is the natural evolution of the social space and happy to see it. And, you know, good news. Good for TikTok is constantly showing us ways that they're creating a safe space for marketers and communities to exist. So good on them. Um, all right. This was a long pod because we talked a lot about free Britney. Um, and I encourage everyone to go watch the documentary on Hulu. If you need a Hulu login, call Beth. Um, don't call me. Um, the, this has been, uh, this has been really fun and I'm glad we got to talk about everything that we did. And, um, you know, as always, you can email us with any thoughts, comments, uh, critiques at podcasts at gray.com. That's podcasts at gray.com. That just forwards to Joey's inbox and he'll answer them. Um, so thank you for that. Amanda and Beth, thank you as always for being a part of the conversation. And uh, with that, I want to encourage all of you to stay safe stay smart, and stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.